We have been looking at the miracles of Christ. So far we've looked at about five of them. There's 30 some odd to go, or the 30 some odd total, uh, 36 depending, 35, 36 depending on how you count them. And we're just going to kind of walk our way through different principles. We talked about the wedding at the Feast of Canaan. We talked about the idea that um, part of that miracle was to show that when Jesus does something, he can completely transform something. We talked about the, the significance of the ability of Christ to do that. Uh, we talked about uh, the, um, uh, the miracle of the uh, uh, um, Bethesda, the, uh, the guy who was lame there, who was sat by that pool for 38 years. We talked about the idea that that, it get, that kind of miracle gives hope. And somebody who's had a something for 38 years that they've struggled with and, and, and not been able to overcome. We've talked about the nobleman's son, where he came and asked Jesus to heal his son. And although Jesus wasn't present, he was a far, the, the boy was a long ways off, Jesus was able to heal him. Because that was going to be important, because when Jesus left the disciples, they needed to know, God can work even though there's a lot of distance. Because at some point, Jesus was going to leave them. Then we talked about the idea that um, the demonic, where Jesus cast out the demons, we talked about the idea that even the demons obey Jesus. And that that's an important principle to notice, that, that the demons respond to Jesus. It's so much more important for us to respond as well. And then last week we talked about Peter's mother-in-law and that Jesus uh, healed Peter's mother-in-law. And that was, a, that was a lesson really in intercession. And that the disciples came to Jesus, and, or, Peter, or James and John came to Jesus and said, look, we're going to go help our friend Peter. His mother-in-law is really sick and, and we need you to go over there. And so um, this morning we're going to look at um, a, a little bit different kind of miracle. Most of the miracles occur for the crowds. It, it, it's, it's a way for Jesus to show the crowds and teach the crowds something. The miracles that we're going to look at this morning was for the disciples only. There are a few outside people involved, but it's primarily the disciples. Jesus does this miracle to get to, for, for the disciples themselves. So um, let's take a look at it. It's in Luke. Um, it's in chapter 5, and here's what it says. Um... It says, one day, uh, this is Luke 5, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, okay, this is in the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee is that big body of water that's up there, and this is in the northwest part of that body of water, okay? Uh, not far from Capernaum and some of those other places where Jesus has been doing some stuff. And that's what it says, it says, <clears throat> uh, he's standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and the people were crowding around him listening to the word of God. So Jesus is standing there and he's teaching. And as he's teaching, the people come closer. And when people come closer inside your little personal bubble, what do you do? You back up. So that's what Jesus does. They get close to his little bubble, Jesus backs up. By the way, if you're talking to somebody and they keep backing up, get the clue. All right? I mean, really, get the clue. All right? You're, you're, you know, and everybody has their own little bubble space and just don't, don't. But they're doing that with Jesus. They're pushing and pushing, and Jesus keeps backing up. And again, he's by the lake, he's by the shore, and eventually... Like the next step, he's going to be in water. And so notice what it says. It says, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. So as he's backing up, he sees two boats behind him, and he, and, and he said, and he goes, okay, maybe this is an option. Because if I get in a boat, there's only so many people who can get in a boat, I'll be good. And I can keep teaching, but I got, they're, they're outside of my little bubble space. So what happens is it says... They're washing their nets, and he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little bit from the shore. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, 
in our culture, like today, you're sitting, I'm standing, okay? In the New Testament time, it was reversed. The teacher sat, the people stood. Um, and so often the teacher would sit. So, so what happens is the boat goes out a little ways. Jesus sits down, and now he's teaching the people. And now he's got his face. He can see the crowd. He can talk to the crowd. Everything's good. Now notice what happens next. It says, <clears throat> um, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Okay, now we just stop right here and talk about this for a second because you've got to remember, what's Peter's job? He's a fisherman. In this culture, what do you think his daddy's job probably was? Fisherman. fisherman. What do you think his grandfather's job probably was? Fisherman. What do you think his great-granddaddy did? Fisherman. It was passed down from family to family to family to family to family. It was the trade of the family. Peter is a fisherman. That's what Peter knows. In fact, after Jesus dies, the disciples actually go back to fishing because they're not sure what to do. So this is, Peter may not know much, but the one thing Peter knows is fishing. Okay? And that's really important for us to understand. Because in Peter's world, it was all about fishing. That's what he did. That's what his father had done. That's what his grandfather before him had done. And now, all of a sudden, he looks at him and he says, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Jesus finishes his teaching thing. Oh, he finishes his teaching deal. He look, gets up, he looks at Peter, and he says, let's go way out there and let's throw out a net. By the way, what was Jesus' earthly father's job? He was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. Carpenter. What do you think Joseph's dad did? Carpenter. Here is a carpenter telling me how to fish. Telling me where to fish. And going against every fishing rule there is. You don't go out in the middle of the afternoon. You don't go to the deepest part of the lake. You get up early in the morning or at night in this culture and fish. And fishing back then was, it was a net kind of thing. They would throw out this net and then they would pull it up and the fish would be, whatever fish could be caught in the net could be caught in the net. And that was the culture. And these guys knew it. And their grandfather and their father and their great-grandfather. And these, that's what these guys knew. And now Jesus says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Go out there and let's throw out a net. Now you're Peter. And what is going through your head? I don't think so. I don't think so. But now let's not forget, he just healed your mother-in-law. So you know this guy's, you've seen him do some pretty amazing stuff. And notice what he says. Because this is going to be really important when we get the application part. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Jesus looks, uh, Peter looks at him and says, okay, Jesus, uh, maybe you don't understand. But you see, last night we got in the boats and we fished all night. And we went to all of our favorite spots, 
And we tried everything that we knew how to do and everything that are great. We even pulled out like our super secret spot that we do, we go whenever we're not, we're, we're, we're going we're to end up, you know, zeroing out here. And we got nothing. And Jesus, after being up all night and fishing all night, we are now cleaning up our boat. Now, any of you who have boat know the process of cleaning up a boat after you've been fishing? Okay. Can you imagine? You get the boat all clean. You get everything put away. You're, you're getting everything all done. And then the captain of the boat says, hey, we're going to go out in the middle of the day. And Peter's going, this is insane. But I'm going to give it to you. You're Jesus. I know you're a carpenter. I know that that's your thing, but I've seen you do some really neat stuff. So because you say so, we're going to go give it a shot. And notice what happened. You know how the story ends. They, when they were done, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So Peter goes out to the town, he throws the net over, and by the way, here, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think Peter's like, oh good, let's go out there, we're going to catch fish. I think Peter's like, okay, God said to do this, let's show him he's wrong, throw the net over, let's get out of here so we can go back home. He throws the net over. Their nets begin to break. They pull this net up, and it's like, we got to have help. We can't do this. This is overwhelming. So much so that they call their partner, they signal their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they fill both boats so full that they begin to sink. So they start, they get the net up close enough, and it's all fish, so they start throwing fish into the boat. And both boats now are so heavy, they start to sink and get close to the line where they're going to go under. And these guys are now just, you can imagine. I mean, you want to talk about a great fishing story. Okay? These guys now, they're loading this thing up, and now both boats go back, and notice what happened. That they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, Simon Peter's looking at this thing going, "Ah, this is unbelievable. Notice what he says. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Peter at this point recognizes that there is something way, way, way beyond normal when it comes to Jesus. I think it's at this moment that he really recognizes this is a God thing. I'm in the middle of a God thing. And notice what he goes on to say. He and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. So they all had this little fishing company. And they're like, I I can't believe this. I can't believe what we just did. Now, I want you to stop for a second, and I want you to just ask yourself some questions. You're a fisherman. You have a fishing company. You have just hauled in the greatest catch in the history of fishing on the Sea of Galilee. You now, okay, I know this. I I just know this. I know Chuck Jackson enough to know this. He's dying to tell us about his trip last week. No, I'm not going to die. Yeah, no, you're not going to (laughs) die. So you don't want to say anything about your trip, right? Uh, You got pictures already? Yeah, okay, yeah, I thought so. Exactly. All right, when did you guys get in? Uh, We got in at 8.30 this morning. Yeah, they got in at 8.30 this morning. He's already got pictures, all right? Um... My point is made. Why? 
Because when you have a great fishing trip, you want to tell people about it. This is awesome. And these guys have had like the best fishing trip in the world. They get two boats. They cruise into shore. They're loaded up. Everybody on shore is going, I've never seen this many fish on They're pulling fish out and da-da-da-da. And then that's what it's up. And Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. They didn't go back down to the coffee house and tell everybody about the great trip they just had. They didn't pass around all the great pictures. No, they had pictures back then. You know what I'm talking about. About how great the trip was. They said, after what we have seen, we could never fish again. Fishing is not going to cut it for us. We got to go hang with this guy. We have to go be with this person because this is the most incredible thing we have ever seen in our life. There is something unique about this guy. There's something different about this guy. We have to go be with this guy. And they leave it all. Now, it says they leave everything and they follow him. This really is the start of Peter, James, John, and Andrew following Jesus pretty much consistently for here on out okay um so you know the story let me pull out a couple things that i think um are lessons for us um that i think can help us this week um here's the first one listen folks god wants you and i to be obedient he would love it if our attitude's right but let me ask something when you want your kids to clean up your room you go okay kids i need you to clean up your room What's the goal? Tell me, help me out here, parents. What's the goal? To get the room clean. Now, I know what a task it is. Believe me, I raised two boys. I got it. Okay, so, so you're going, okay, clean your room. What happens when they start whining? Give them another job. Um... Do you care if they whine while they clean the room? Would you prefer that they not whine when they clean the room? Sure. But if they start whining, I close the door. Say, call me when the room's clean. They can throw their fit. They can do their whining. I would love for them to do a right hard attitude, but you know what? I want the room clean. When it comes to God, God wants us to do it with the right attitude. But you know what? He wants us to be obedient. A great lesson, if you really want to see this played out, read the book of Jonah. Because here's what you'll find. Jonah, Jonah has no heart at all to see the people saved. All the way through the book. The only reason Jonah prays and asks God for deliverance is because he doesn't like the consequences of being in the fish. It has nothing to do with he wants to see Nineveh saved. You know who preaches the greatest revival in all of the Old Testament? Jonah. More people are saved, come to God, under the revival that Jonah preaches. And by the way, it's an eight-word message in Hebrew. Jonah preaches the message. You're not going to get an eight-word message from me, so don't, don't hang on to it. But here's literally what happens in the book of Jonah. Jonah goes to the city. He preaches an eight-word in Hebrew message. He then gets up, goes to the top of the hill, sits down, and says, Come on, God, destroy him. You know how the book of Jonah ends? 
with God coming to Jonah and saying, God, Jonah, look, I know you don't care about the people, but if I wipe out the city, think of all the cattle that'll die. And that's how the book ends. Why? Jonah does not have a heart for the people. But here's the thing. Here's what you learn in the book of Jonah. Because Jonah is obedient, God uses him. Now, Jonah misses out on a blessing. But Jonah is obedient. God says, preach. He went, he preached, then he sat up on the hill with a lousy attitude. And God still, the people still turned, and God repented. God, God did not judge Nineveh at that moment. Why? Because God wants us to be obedient. There are some of you that are struggling. You know why? You know the Bible says that you should forgive other people. But you go, well, I can't do it with the right attitude. I won't be sincere about it. You know, I don't care if you're sincere or not. God says forgive, so forgive. God says love your spouse. I don't care if they deserve it or not. You be obedient and you love that person. You go, well, I think it's just insincere. Well, then make it sincere. Well, I can never make it sincere. Okay, then just love them. Insincerely. I don't care. God says, look, I want you to be obedient. I would love obedience with the right heart attitude. But here's the thing you learn about Peter. Peter in this story says, look, we fished all night. I don't think you know what you're talking about. We're tired, but I'm going to do it because you say to do it. And a lot of you right now are stuck in life because you're not willing to just simply do what you know you need to do. And you've got all kinds of reasons why you don't, but you just need to do what God's prompted your heart to do. You need to be obedient. And, and that's so important to understand in this story. They experience this because they're obedient, because Peter's obedient, and he does what God asked him to do. Second principle. What happened when they got in over their heads? What happened when there were too many fish for them to do? What did they do? They called for help. They got the other people to come out and help them. And what did the other people do? What did the boat people do? They came out and helped them. Listen to me, because this is, I, there, here's the thing. I know this church enough to know this. If we ask for help, you will help. That's the thing I love about this church. I call, I call and say, hey, look, so-and-so needs some help. Boom, there's like 10 people there to help them. Okay? I, I, I know that that's the way this functions. When we call for help, there's no problem with people coming up and helping. Okay? But let me ask you something. What about you calling for help? How many of you, when you get in over your heads, are willing to say, I'm in over my head, I need help? Because see, one thing I've learned about rural people, you pride yourselves on being able to, you pride yourselves on being able to get yourself in your own mess. Instead of asking for help and avoiding the mess altogether. Instead of saying, you know what, this is a little bigger than I can handle. And, and let, me, let me illustrate this for you, because this is so important in this principle here. And this is what I want you to understand. The guys, okay, let's say a boat has eight people. Just, I don't know how many they had in crew. Let's say it's eight people. You got eight people in a boat. Eight people now are experiencing this incredible event where there's more fish than they can handle. What do they do? Walk me through the process. What's the first thing they do? They're in over their heads. What are they going to do? What do they do? Help. Help. Good. Signal. Hey, guys, we need you out here. Now, people jump in a boat. Let's assume a cruise eight. Eight people now come out to help. 
if these people would have never asked for help, loaded up the boat as much as they could, let all the other fish go, how many people would have got to experience this, this, this miracle here? Eight. They called out for help. That boat came out. That boat helped them. So let's say it has a crew of eight. Now how many people get to talk, get to talk about this miracle? Sixteen. Why? Because it was just as much a blessing to the people who got to serve as it was to the people who needed to be served. You follow that? This is important to understand because a lot of you have no problem at all offering to help somebody. But you won't ask for help. And I want you to understand that because you won't do that, you are robbing those people of the experience. Every one of you that has that attitude of you'll help somebody no matter what, when you get done helping them, how do you feel? Great. You're like, I was able to help them. That was so much fun. I'm glad, we, I'm glad they asked. I'm so glad they called. I'm so glad they asked me. That was a blast. I, that, was, that was so, I, I'm so glad I had the tools, the opportunity, the time, the money, whatever, to be able to help them do something. But when you tell, when you refuse to ask somebody for help, you rob them of that. You rob them of that. This was probably, and still is, the hardest lesson for me. Okay? Um, we're in a church where we have both ends of the spectrum. We have people in here who struggle to make it week to week financially. And we have people in here that have, that are incredibly blessed financially. They've got more money than they know what to do with it. Okay? I mean, not really, but you know what I mean. I mean, comparatively, okay? Comparatively. A lot of times, as a pastor, I'm kind of like in the middle somewhere in there, okay? I've been on that end of it. Haven't been on that end of it. I've been on that end of it, okay? I've been on that end of it. And a lot of times, people as a pastor will at, will want to do something for me or my family. And they will offer to do something I don't have any trouble a lot of times saying yes to these people, okay? Because I know they, they, they can afford to do something for us. And so, you know, they call me up and say, hey, look, we'd like to take you and your wife out to dinner. Sure. But what's really hard for me is when somebody on this end of it calls me and says, we'd like to take you out for dinner. Because I know that I should be taking them to dinner because I can financially afford it a little more. And it is really, really hard for me to say yes to those people. Why? Because of my pride, ultimately. And I am learning, trying to learn, that to say no to them is to rob them of a blessing. To not ask for help, and it happened, and again, I'm going to be really, you know, again, I'm going to try to be really transparent here. You know, this morning, um, I was, um, communion um, cups needed to be filled, so this morning before church, I saw it, so I'm filling communion cups, and Daryl, well, Daryl, Daryl Gruber, Daryl, Daryl Gruber, he's sitting in there, and he, just him and I were here this morning, and so I'm, I'm filling up communion cups, he's sitting down there, and he goes, hey, you need any help in there, preacher? So I'm, you know, doing the communion cup thing. I said, no, 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 Daryl, I got it. And as I'm doing it, I'm going, you know, you know you're going to preach on asking for help. 
if you're really going to be real, you should probably let him know you need help because it'll go a lot faster with two of you than one of you. But, you know me, I still going to do it myself. So I'm still doing it. Then, if God wasn't even done, then Juanita walks in and she goes, can I help you? And at that time, it's like, okay, God, I'm done beating me up. Yeah, Juanita, you can help, you know? Because it's like, you know, it's, it's little things like that where... Did, they ha- did, I ha- did I need their help? Yes. Could I do it by myself? Yes. So Juanita and I stood in there pouring juice and doing all that, yip-yapping and fellowshipping, and I robbed Daryl of that experience. Because I'm in there, literally, this is what we're doing. Daryl's sitting down in here. I'm in there filling community cups. We're yelling back and forth. So, oh, yeah, and, uh, talking, telling the story. It's like, man, you should just don't come on in here and help me. We can stand across the thing and talk to each other. It's little things like that. But listen, some of you are really good at, at offering help. You're really horrible at asking for help. And when you get, and my wife will tell you, this is, my, this is what, like, I am the king of not asking for help. I am the master of getting in way over my head. Okay? And, and when I could have saved myself so much grief and I could share the blessing with somebody else, who then would have walked away going, I'm glad, I'm glad he gave me a call. I'm glad I was able to help him. Why? Because, yeah, my kids, yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's one of those deals where, look, God, the Christian life is not a solo journey. We're in it together. We've got to help one another. We've got to ask for help when we need it. We offer help when we can. Second, the last principle I think I see in this story is this. Um, I read an old commentator who saw this, and I don't know why. And all the times I read the story, this has never crossed my mind, never seen it from this perspective, but here's what he said. He said, one of the great things about this passage is it teaches the omniscience and, and, and possibly the omnipotence of God. And here's how he described it. He said, think about this for a minute. He said, Jesus tells Peter to go to a certain spot in the lake and throw down the net. Because either one of two things, Jesus knew that's where all the fish would be having lunch. Or, Jesus knew the fish were scattered about, and he called all the fish to that spot. So at the very least, you see the fact that either God knew all the fish were there, or God knew where they were to call them to the point, and possibly you see the idea, if if they're all around and God calls them to the point, you see God's power in being able to bring all the fish into one spot. All those fish. What is that implication for you and I? Listen, if God knows where the fish are, your week didn't take him by surprise. Whatever has gone on in your life right now, whatever you're struggling with, it may be a doctor's diagnosis, it might be a financial thing, it might be a family thing, it might be a job thing, it might be a car thing, whatever thing it is that you've got going on right now that's added stress to your life. God's not up in heaven going, didn't see that one coming. He knows where the fish are. He knows what's going on in your life too. He has a purpose and a plan. He can take whatever has happened, good or bad, and make good come out of it. In this case, these guys were thinking, this is crazy. We're throwing a net. We, we, We threw a net here all last night. Nobody fishes this spot. My grandfather's never fished this spot. 
Nobody in our family has ever fished this spot. Why are we fishing here? Because God knew. And it's easy for us when we go through stuff in life to go, God, why, am, why is this happening? I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. That hasn't taken God by surprise. And I'd like to remind you that whatever you're going through has not taken God by surprise. So my challenge to you, I guess, this, this morning, the thing I guess to take away from this week is to, is to remember this. God knows what you're going through. He does, and he cares about it. Not only that, it might be God's brought it into your life for you to either give help to somebody else or to get help from somebody else. To remind yourself that, you know what? You're not in this on your own. Allow other people to come alongside of you. And finally, the idea is, I just need to be obedient and listen to what God wants to do. You know, as Red Green says, you know, we're all in this together. You know, I mean, we really are. We're all in this together. And if you think you've got it all together and your act's all polished and you've got no issues and stuff like that, first of all, you're kidding yourself, okay? Because we all got stuff. And the thing is for us to take the stuff that God allows us to go through and to use it to help other people as they go through their stuff. And to let God bring other people into my life who've already had dealt with that stuff. And bring them. You know, we're, my wife and I are at the point right now where, you know, we're getting ready down the line, not yet, but down the line, we're getting ready to head into that whole probably grandparent kind of thing. Huh? <laughs> down the line, one day, 5, 10, 15 years, whatever else. Um, Oh, by the way, Jimmy, your wife has something to tell you. No, um, <laughs> surprise! No, um, <laughs> surprise! We thought this would be a cool way to do it. Nobody else does it this way. No, um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, for us, that's like the next phase for us. You know, kids are out, we're doing the empty nest thing, da 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 And, you know, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm trying to watch and observe and learn and go to you guys and talk to you guys about how to do it, how not to do it, learning what I can. Because that's something, that's a a facet of life that for us will be new. But we have lots of people here who have already walked through it and are walking through it. And you're the people that we come to and go, help us, guide us, encourage us. Tell us what we should or shouldn't do. You know, we did that when, you know, and we were doing that in the, in the process of getting daughter-in-laws. So by the way, that is, for those of you that are having children and stuff like that, I'm telling you, the only way to get daughters is to have sons who marry girls, and then you don't have to go through all the drama of the girl thing. <laughs> you know? Um, it's awesome to do it that way. You know, my wife, and my wife has been outnumbered for 20-some years. My wife's been outnumbered. So to have girls now, she's like, oh, this is so much fun, you know? which means that yesterday when we were in Omaha dropping off Josh, they're in their jewelry shopping, I'm sleeping in the car. Um, that's what it means. If he, you know, they went to Charming Charlie's, don't even ask. Um, everybody's like, ooh. Uh, um, <laughs> I went to the bookstore, I went to the sporting goods store, I was still bored, I thought, I'm going to take a nap. You know, they came out and they didn't see me because I leaned the thing all the way back, I got the car running, they're going, the car's running and nobody's in it. Oh, there he is. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, 
honestly, it's one of those things where, you know, as we go through those stages, we depend on you to help us because we haven't been there. We're in it together. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to offer your help to somebody. Like we talked about last week with the intercession thing, there might be somebody you need to come alongside of and say, you know what, I've been down this road. Let me, let me pray with you. Let me take you to lunch. Let me just share what I learned not to do and allow both of you to experience what God is doing in your lives. Let God use you. So I end it with this. Um, we're challenged to remember that God desires obedience and trust. We can't live the Christian life as a solo journey. God knows what you're going through. He does care. And he will use you and others to walk you through it. Let's pray. Lord, help us, guide us, direct us. Lord, it's easy for us to uh, want to do it on our own. God, whether it's uh, filling communion cups or struggling through some really tough life issues, Lord, we, we pride ourselves often on being independent. But God, you want us dependent upon you. You want us dependent upon one another. You want us to carry and to share one another's burdens. You want us to go through this thing together. So Lord, help us to do that. Lord, there are some in here who are carrying some heavy stuff. And, Lord, you need to bring the right people along. Help them to realize that they're in over their heads, that they need help. For others, Lord, who have walked that thing, help them to be willing to step in and to help. And, Lord, for all of us, God, there are things that each of us have been, you have spoken to our hearts and lives about. Lord, we just need to be obedient. So, uh, Lord, help us to do that this week. And when it's all said and done, we'll give you the honor and glory and the praise. And uh, we'll be drawn closer to one another, closer to you. These things we ask in your name. Amen.